Good morning, church family. My name is Matt, one of the pastors here, and uh, it's just so good to be together uh, on, on a morning like this. Um, every time it snows, I just I, oh, I can't help but think that, that God has, has washed our sin as white as snow, just this picture of God cleansing us. And, and that's just what he, what he does. He's the only one that has the power to do that. And so... Um, Again, to you veterans, just wanted to thank you for your service uh, to our country and all the work you've done um, in serving so that we would have all the privileges that we have today. But uh, November 11th is, is special to me for another reason as well, and it's a, it's a date that will forever be etched in my memory because it was on November 11th that I had a life-altering plan. It was a good plan, Okay. This plan involved a really nice dinner. This plan involved a nice drive up to Horsetooth Reservoir to overlook the city lights to eat some dinner or to eat some dessert, excuse me. And then we drove back down and this plan involved a decorated apartment that had candles lit, had rose petals all over the ground. There was a poem and at the end of all of it there was a ring. It was this day, 13 years ago, that I proposed to my beautiful wife, Cheryl. And that plan, and by God's grace, her saying yes, changed the course of my entire life. A day that I will remember forever. 13 years ago, hard to believe. But here's the thing. A few months later, we, we come to uh, our wedding day and we're standing on a stage like this and we're facing each other and we make these vows and then we say these words, with this ring, I thee wed. Now, is the ring itself what made us married? No. The ring was a symbol of the commitment and the covenant we made before one another that day. It was a reminder. It was a physical representation of a new reality for both of us. In the eyes of God and in the laws of the land, we were married. We were united as one. And it was our public way of showing that. Today we're going to be teaching on the topic of baptism. We've been preaching verse by verse through the book of Ephesians, and today uh, we've already had the chance to celebrate some baptisms, and we're going to celebrate some more baptisms during this service. And we just thought it would be fitting to take the opportunity just to read the scriptures and say, okay, what does God's word have to say to us about baptism? And baptism, what we'll find, is a lot like a wedding ring. It's not what saves you, but it is an outward, it's a public display that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. That you have embraced the gospel of salvation. And you are now declaring that your faith is in him publicly before God and many witnesses. Again, we don't believe baptism saves. But we do believe it is something Jesus calls his followers to do as a first step of obedience to a life devoted to God. And as a pastor team, we really wanted to take this opportunity because, you know, we have a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds, and that happens when you're a young church, is you get people from different places, and, and, and we realize and recognize some of you may have grown up Catholic, some of you may have grown up Lutheran or Presbyterian, and, and there's some different teachings out there when it comes to baptism. And so we just wanted to say, hey, as a church, this is where we stand 
on the ordinance of baptism. This is our position as a church, and here is biblically why we hold to this position. And if you hold to a different position at the end of all this than we hold to, that's okay, as long as you can defend your position from the Word of God, and you are fully convinced that that is the clear teaching of Scripture, okay? Otherwise, we're going to ask you to ascribe just to what we see in the Scripture, because God's Word is our ultimate authority. God's Word is the authority of the church, and as, as pastors and as, as people who are a part of the church, we need to realize that God's Word is it. We do not add to God's Word. We do not take away from God's Word. We present what God has said as what God has said, and we let Him speak for Himself, and that's what our hope is today as we look into baptism. And so, uh, for most of you in this room, you're going to find yourself in one of four general categories. I did my best to include everybody, so you can talk to me afterwards if you don't fall into one of these. But first of all, you're here and you've never believed the gospel. You, you, haven't, you haven't made up your mind if you believe Jesus really is the Savior, if, if he's God. You've never believed and you've never been baptized. So that's one category of people that are present today. The second category is you were baptized as an infant, but you were never baptized as a believer. Some of you might fall into that category. The third category is you've believed the gospel, but you've never been baptized. And then the last category is that you have believed the gospel and that you have been baptized as a believer. And so I just want you to, you to take a moment, maybe if you have your notes, just write down which, which category best describes you. Where are you at this morning? Because at the end of all this, I'm going to have some very specific uh, instruction and encouragement depending upon where you are. So, baptism. Virtually every single uh, denomination, every single faith that claims Jesus to be the Savior and that would say that the Bible is the Word of God observes baptism in some way, shape, or form, okay? You cannot read through the New Testament and say, oh yeah, we shouldn't do baptism, it's, it's very clear. It's all throughout the New Testament scriptures, this, this idea of baptism. And so we're just going to dive into what we believe uh, is a normal practice that the church should be observing until Christ returns, okay? So what is baptism? In your notes there, the first fill in the blank is that baptism is a command instituted by Jesus. Baptism is a command. So after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he's meeting with his followers, he's meeting with his disciples, and he gives them what is now known as the Great Commission. Like, okay, everything I've done has led up to this point, and I'm now knighting you to carry on my mission to the ends of the earth. And in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, this is what Jesus, uh, how Jesus instructs his disciples. He says, And he came to them and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So here we see from the Great Commission, as, as a part of this going and making disciples, which involves just proclaiming the gospel... That for those who would say, I believe that, I need salvation, I see that it's in Christ. For those who would say, yes and amen to the gospel, baptize them. 
Baptize them in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptize them as a, a outward sign of their faith. This is what we see Jesus says is the first act of obedience following a person's re- receiving the gospel. And here's the thing, is that Jesus himself, if you've noticed, doesn't ask us to do anything that he himself hasn't already done. And oddly enough, Jesus was baptized. And I've always found this passage rather fascinating, and, and as I've been processing this week, it's been, been amazing. But we're going to read, we're going to look at Jesus' baptism, which took place before his public ministry. Okay, Jesus was baptized before he ever started preaching, before he ever started teaching. So Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the, Jor- to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he, John, consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Has anyone ever read this account and say, Why in the world did Jesus get baptized? Anyone ever have that thought? Why did Jesus get baptized, right? Here's John the Baptist confused. He said, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean? I'm not going to baptize you. You need to baptize me, Jesus. And yet Jesus says, no, this has to be done. And instead of arguing with Jesus, John says, okay, I'm going to listen. I think there's like a hidden principle in there that you just don't argue with Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Even if you don't get it, right? It's like, okay, you're God. I think you know what you're talking about. All right. So, John tries to argue, but then he consents. So why did Jesus get baptized? I found uh, John MacArthur's commentary on this super helpful. I just want to read to you what he said. He said this. Jesus' baptism represents the willing identification of the sinless Son of God with the sinful people he came to save. That was the first act of his ministry, the first step in the redemptive plan that he came to fulfill. He who had no sin took his place among those who had no righteousness. He who was without sin submitted to a baptism for sinners. In this act, the Savior of the world took his place amongst the sinners of the world. There was no other way to fulfill all righteousness. So here's Jesus, the Son of God, coming in the form of the flesh, and he starts by identifying with humanity's greatest need. That we are sinful and we are separated from God. And Jesus is coming to declare that this is what I came to take care of. This is what I came to do. And, and not only was this Jesus identifying himself with sinful man, but it was also Jesus symbolizing how he would go about saving us. It's a picture of what Christ was going to do in the culmination of his life and ministry. You see, Jesus began with the end in mind. Baptism is a picture and even a foreshadow of the death that Jesus would die upon the cross. It was a foreshadow that he would be resurrected from the grave and conquer sin and death 
once and for all. And so as Jesus began his ministry with the end in mind, we need to realize that that end would be the means by which we would all have to be saved. And his baptism pictured that for us. It pointed forward to the cross and the tomb and to his resurrection. And Jesus is the only one who has the power to grant salvation because even as we saw his baptism, Jesus is the son of God. And God, the creator of the world, is the one who creates the rules. He's the one who has told us his ways and he has made those known. And in Matthew chapter 3, we saw the triune God at work at the baptism of Jesus, right? The spirit of God descending upon Jesus, the, the son of God, and the voice of God the Father affirming his son, saying, I'm well pleased with this man. He's my son. And our purpose is being fulfilled now from eternity past to bring salvation to all nations. So, Jesus' baptism. It's his willing association with sinful man. Jesus' baptism. It's a foreshadow of the way in which we would have to be saved through faith in his death and resurrection. And it was a public affirmation of his deity. That he has the power to save and no one else does. And so here we see in the Great Commission the resurrected Christ telling his disciples what to do. Go make disciples, baptizing them. He's commanding them to be baptized. Now again, it's important to note salvation doesn't save anyone. It is a proclamation of saving faith. But faith without baptism is like being married and refusing to wear your wedding ring. So saying, oh yeah, I belong to Christ, but nope. I'm not, I'm, the, the world, I'm, I'm not going to publicly make that known before God and before other witnesses. See, I don't wear my ring because I like jewelry. In fact, I don't know how many of you relate to me in this. I can't stand jewelry. Like, I don't wear necklaces. I don't wear watches. Like it just—it makes me feel weird. Does anyone else relate to me in this? All right, Amen. We got some normal people in here. I don't know. I, I don't know how you get used to wearing jewelry. I still feel my ring on my hand all the time. But here's the thing: baptism is that declaration that we belong to our King. Baptism is our way to say, "I'm following Jesus." I'm making that known before the world. I'm putting on that ring for the world to see. Baptism is a command. It's to be observed by all who have put their faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ for their salvation. Baptism is also an outward sign of repentance and faith. That's in your notes. It's an outward sign of repentance and faith. So after Jesus is baptized in Mark chapter 1, the first thing he does coming on the, on the scene is he starts to proclaim the gospel. And he says this, Mark 1.15. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so the kingdom of God is the good news that those who are once far off from God can be brought near through the Son of God and His work on their behalf. And repentance, this idea of repentance, is turning away from those things that once separated us and alienated us from God and looking to God 
It's an about face. It's I'm walking this way away from God and no, I hear his call and I turn to him. I repent. I turn. And repentance really does, uh, we really do see repentance symbolized in baptism as we publicly confess our need for forgiveness. And in Acts chapter 2 verse 38, we see that, that Peter has preached the gospel. He's proclaimed the good news of Christ amongst the Jews on the day of Pentecost. It says many were cut to the heart and they cry. They say, what must we do to be saved? It's a fair question. You need to ask that question of yourself. What must I do to be saved? And here's what Peter says, verse 38. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin and you will receive the Holy Spirit. So here we see baptism and repentance connected to one another. Okay? And it's, it's not the, the baptism that saves them, but it's the appeal to God by faith that saves them. That's a part of the repenting process. Making an appeal to God's mercy by His promise through His Son. And here's the thing. In Luke 15.10, this is what Jesus says takes place in heaven when a sinner repents. This is what happens in heaven. Jesus, Luke 15.10, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. When one person turns away from their self and their sin and turns to the Savior, heaven throws a party. There is joy before the throne room of God. When one person sees their need for their Savior and clings to the hope of the gospel. And if there's joy in heaven, I think we should have some joy on earth too. When we see someone stand up and publicly declare their faith through baptism. Baptism is an outward sign of repentance and faith. Lastly, and certainly not least, baptism is an expression of new life in Christ. It's an expression of the new life that we have in Christ. So salvation is not simply this, okay, I don't, I, I don't have to go to hell anymore and I get to go to heaven if that's your idea of salvation, you're, you're completely missing it. Salvation, yes, it does uh, entail not being condemned and having a hope in a future, but it's tied to the relational reconnection with God. We who were once alienated and separated from communion with the God who made us are now brought together again, restored to relationship. In John 17, 3, that's how Jesus defines eternal life, that, they would, that we would know the one true God, knowing, intimate knowledge of God. Check out Romans 6, 3-4 with me. Paul is writing to the church at Rome, and here's how he reminds them uh, about baptism and, and the implications of baptism. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So he's talking to the church and he's assuming that they've all been baptized. And he says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. 
That's the promise of the good news, is that we get new life. And new life in Christ, in Christ alone. And here we see that we're buried. It says you were buried with him in baptism. When someone dies and is buried, they are laid down in a tomb. We still do that today, right? I mean, we cremate a lot more nowadays, but still, you, you get the picture. Lie down in a tomb. We're laid down. And in baptism, it's symbolically picturing this, this death to ourself and our sin. So that we might be raised up with Christ and enjoy new life with and in Him. And the word baptism here in the Greek means baptisma. Or the word is baptisma. And it literally means to submerge or to cleanse something by dipping or sinking. And as we saw back at Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter 3, it says, as Jesus came up out of the water, indicating that he had to do what? Go down into the water. Is everyone tracking with me? Is that logical? Maybe? All right. You can test me on it later. Therefore, as a church, we believe that the mode of baptism in which we should partake in is through immersion. That's why we go through the hassle of setting up a tank and filling it with water. And for those of you being baptized, we've warmed the water. You're welcome. But that's why we go through the, the hassle of this, is because we believe that's what Scripture teaches, but we also think that it's the best declaration of what Jesus has done in laying his life down and being raised back to life. You know how much easier it would be to just get a little cup of water and go around sprinkling people? Who wants to get baptized? Oh, just come on up. Boom. Done. Easy, right? But that's just not what we see in Scripture. And we'll look at a few more examples here in a minute. But baptism is an expression of our new life in Christ. And it's a new life that changes everything about the way we live life, both today and the promise of life to come. Through baptism, we declare that death is not the end of the story, but life is. And through baptism, we declare that we have been united with Christ. That the living God of the universe has caused us to be born again spiritually. Unto a new spiritual life when we were once dead in our sin. He has brought us to life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one gets to God but through me. Alright, so we've already looked at Jesus' baptism. Now let's take a look at a few instances of baptism in the book of Acts. So first of all, let's look at Pentecost. We already talked about Peter on that day preaching the gospel. Them crying out, what must we do to be saved? And the story ends like this in Acts 2.41. So those who received his word were baptized. They went through with it. Okay, we're believing. We're going to be baptized. And there were added to that day, there were added that day around 3,000 souls. How long did that take? 3,000 people. That would have been awesome. (laughs) I'm going to ask God for the replay of that in heaven, right? Like, hey, I want to see that. That's a party. That's a celebration. That's a mighty move of God's Spirit amongst His people. But those who received the Word of God, they were baptized. They didn't even argue. You tell me I'm saved by faith in Christ? That I have a hope and a future? That this hard life isn't the end of the story? Sure! 
Why would I not be baptized? Then Acts chapter 8, we see the Ethiopian eunuch. So there's this uh, eunuch of, of high standing uh, from a foreign country and he's, he's going about in, in a chariot of sort and he's reading the scroll of Isaiah and Philip ends up walking next to him and this is what happens. It says, the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the, the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with, his, with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is the water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So we don't know exactly what Philip said when he preached the gospel, but we know it entailed a call to baptism. Because the eunuch is responding by saying, look, here's water. Dunk me. I believe. I want to receive this hope and salvation. Acts chapter 10. Peter's called to the house of Cornelius, which is primarily made up of Gentiles. And he comes and and they're a captive audience. And they say, hey, we know you have a message for us from God. Speak. And he goes on, he proclaims the gospel to them. And it says that the Holy Spirit fell upon them, that they began to speak in tongues or other languages. And they were praising God. And Peter's kind of baffled. He's amazed. He's like, oh my gosh, this is the same thing that happened to us on the day of Pentecost. Like, God has given his spirit to the Gentiles. This is amazing. And yet, here's what Peter says in Acts 10, 47 through 48. He says, Can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They already believed. They were already filled with the Spirit. And yet, Peter still says, No, you need to observe water baptism. That's still a command that you need to follow. It's evidence that the Spirit of God is upon you, but I still am charged before Christ as His instruction to baptize you. There's other examples in Scripture, but based on these examples, I just want to encourage us and propose to us that the time in which someone should be baptized, it should be as close to when they profess faith in Jesus Christ as possible. It's just the biblical pattern. We see it in Scripture. When someone comes to believe in Christ, they should be baptized. Now, we as a church do not ascribe to infant baptism. We will not baptize infants. We will pray. We will dedicate children to the Lord. We will pray for parents to raise their kids in the way of the Lord. We will pray for the salvation of that soul. But we will not baptize infants. We will, however, baptize young children. Because we believe that it's always childlike faith that God approves of. When, when Jesus says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. If a child is old enough to articulate the gospel, if they confess that they have sin and they have a need for a savior, we're going to baptize them. We're not going to hinder them from coming to the waters of baptism. There's no like magical age. It's about the ability to understand and profess faith in Jesus Christ. We say it often, but baptism is an outward sign of an inward reality. 
an inward reality that someone has received this new life promised in Christ through repentance and faith in the gospel. And so my question for you today is this, is where are you in regards to baptism? Maybe you're in that first category that you've never believed the gospel and you've never been baptized. If that's you, I would, I would call you to faith today. I would declare to you the good news of the gospel, the only power that God has ascribed for the salvation of the souls of mankind. To trust that Jesus Christ took our place on the cross to pay the penalty of our sin. And then he rose again three days later, conquering the power of sin and death and holding out the hope of eternal life for all who would look to him. If that's you, I would challenge you to believe today. And if you haven't believed and you're saying, I'm not ready to believe, I need to know more about that, I would challenge you to read the scriptures, to read through the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, to read what he said, what he taught, who he claimed to be, and respond in faith. Second category, maybe you were baptized as an infant, but you've never been baptized as a believer. If you fit that category, we as a pastor team would strongly urge you to observe water baptism as a believer. We would strongly urge you to do that. We just believe that's what the scriptures teach, and we'd ask you to prayerfully consider if God would want you to do that. Then there's another category, the third category, those who would say, yes, I believe the gospel, but I've never been baptized. I haven't taken that step of faith and obedience to Christ. (laughs) To you, the call is probably the simplest. Get baptized. Get baptized. And I think this is where it applies to say, why? Because Jesus said so. (laughs) You don't have to argue with me. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm just going to say what Jesus said. Okay? Lastly, many of you who are here have believed the good news of the gospel, and you've been publicly baptized as a believer. And for you this morning, I would just want to encourage you to continue to allow Jesus Christ to be not only your Savior, but your Lord. There are many things in all of our lives that distract us from a pure and simple devotion to Jesus. And I would just want each one of us to take some time to examine our own minds, to examine our own hearts and say, man, what is distracting me from just pursuing my Savior with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength? What's getting in the way? Remember that you were baptized. Remember that you made that declaration that your life is no longer your own. And one of the most beautiful things about being a Christian is that God always calls us to repent. He always says, continue to turn from your sin and turn to me. That's a lifelong endeavor that we all experience. And so if you're a believer and you've been baptized, I just want to encourage you to rejoice in the gospel and to allow Jesus to be your greatest treasure. Well, we have the privilege of dunking some people this morning. And uh, after last service, uh, there are many who said, I want to get baptized today. And so maybe you're here today and you said, hey, I believe, but I've never been baptized. Uh, maybe you're like the Ethiopian eunuch and you're like, well, here's some water. Here's some water. What's hindering you? And we've took away every excuse. We have t-shirts, we have shorts, like we got a whole change of clothes. So if God is is prompting you 
to take this step of faith and obedience, we want you to ask, we want to ask you to partake, to participate in making your faith public through the waters of baptism.